Welcome to Creekside Church. We are excited for you to be here today. Summer is flying by, but it's great to gather again in the house of the Lord. And I know uh, for myself, sometimes there's just so many distractions and uh, things going on. It helps to just take a moment, to pause, to bow my head. So let's do that together. Let's bow our heads. Let's commit our time to the Lord. Let's pray for him to bless our gathering today. Father, we are grateful for a time set apart to be with you. We're thankful for your family, the church, meeting here today and all around the world, many voices lifting praise and worship to Jesus. And we pray this morning that you would fill our hearts with thoughts of Jesus, that you would lift our minds to your throne, that you would help us to set aside those distractions and the, and the things of this earth and to turn our eyes on Jesus. Um, Lord, how we trust you, how we are grateful to you. We don't know what we would do without you. May you bless our time together. May you stir our hearts to the things above. Uh, help us to cling to the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to couple of announcements. Mark, you can go ahead and be making your way up to the front. Coming up, we will be taking a, a gift basket of snacks and uh, water and different, different supplies that we take over to the uh, Urbandale Fire Department. So it's kind of a, a way to say some appreciation for uh, the first responders in our community. And uh, so if you would like to contribute to that, uh, you can do so um, by 
dropping a gift in the offering box and, and designating it for that purpose. Um, I know Doug Elric and some others will be taking that over uh, a week from Tuesday, so uh, that's coming up. And Mark is going to come up and share some other things that are also happening on July 4th. Uh, yeah, hard to believe July 4th is almost here. Um, but we do a, a church potluck family event night, but it's also in the last few years turned into somewhat of an outreach event as we have invited the community to come join us. Um, Anna and Darla and I are coordinating that, and there's a sign-up sheet out there. By, we put the American flag out there on the table. We need some help with some different things uh, from setup. We'd like to set up a, a tent canopy out back. Um, we need some help with food and clean up afterwards. Um, we could also use some help with games. So if anybody just wants to coordinate some games for youth and the church, that would be great. And then also last year we passed out some tracks in that kind of 15-minute window when people sit down on the lawn to watch the fireworks. We have a good view of the fireworks out here. So if you come for the picnic at 5.30, later on come back or stay the whole night if you like and watch the fireworks out here with us. And a lot of people from the community come out for that. So if anybody wants to join me in passing out some invitations for the church and tracks, we'd love to have you help with that. Uh, so please sign up today so we know where we stand after today, if we have enough volunteers for everything we'd like to do. Um, also, for the, for the dinner, the potluck at 5.30, bring a salad or side dish and a dessert. And then the main dish will be taken care of. We'll grill some burgers or something. Also, um, I'd like to introduce our guest speaker today. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce Matt Deaver. Uh, Matt grew up in our youth group here many years ago in our church and went on to study at New Tribes Missions. He was saved in our youth group, actually, um, through one of our missions trips. And uh, the Lord has used him on the field in, uh, in a couple different countries. And I'll let him talk a little bit, maybe give a brief update about that if you'd like before uh, the sermon today. But uh, Matt, we're glad you and Trista and family are here today. We don't get to see you all that often, but Matt and Trista are part of our quarterly missions love offering. So our church is um, actively supporting the family financially and through prayers, and um, so we're just happy to have you guys here today. Right. Yeah, well, good morning, Creekside Church. It's, it's such a great privilege uh, to be gathered with you, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to share uh, from God's Word today. Uh, we, we will be looking at 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 18 to 25. 1 Peter 2, 18 to 25. And as you're turning there, I, I mentioned earlier that one of the ministries we have is uh, working among the migrant workers. And uh, the migrant workers, they come to Malaysia because there are a lot more opportunities to get jobs, to work. Uh, but they do face some challenges as they come. So most of the migrant workers, they work uh, six to seven days a week, 12-hour days, uh, often without breaks, oftentimes with very little pay, and they live in difficult situations. And uh, a couple months ago, we had uh, a few of the women from one of our churches. Uh, they were arrested by the police. They were accused by their boss of having stolen something from the factory they work in. And so they were brought down to prison. Uh, they were threatened there with a year in jail or uh, you know, the need to pay a large sum of money that they could never pay and, and experienced this great uh, injustice, this great difficulty. And this is, 
this is a fairly common thing for migrant workers. Sometimes uh, the pa- you know, their passports will be taken and they can't get them back, so they have to stay and work and they can't go back home. Uh, other times, you know, they'll request holidays off that the rest of the country gets and they'll be denied that. And, and again, just often working overtime. So uh, this is a situation of, of great injustice and difficulty, of unjust suffering. And uh, thankfully, most of us will, will never experience that kind of difficulty, uh, certainly in our workplaces here, uh, but in other areas, uh, we often don't face that. But that doesn't mean that we won't experience and face different kinds of unjust suffering. Right? That doesn't mean that in our various relationships, whether it's with the government or uh, in our workplaces or with family or others in our community, that we won't experience an unjust suffering where we need to know how to respond. And in our passage this morning, Peter is going to help us understand how do we face unjust suffering? How should we endure these kinds of difficulties. Uh, this is the main thing I want us to consider this morning from 1 Peter. So let me read 1 Peter 2, verses 18 to 25, and then we'll jump into the passage. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like, you were strained like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Uh, Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for this time to gather, to hear from you as you speak to us in your word. And God, we ask now that your spirit would come and open our eyes, open our hearts to understand your word. God, to receive it, to be strengthened, to be comforted, to be challenged. to to be faithful to you as we follow you in this world. We commit this time to you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we think about the the letter of 1 Peter, uh, I know you all are not going through this letter, so I'll just take a moment to give a brief context. You know, 1 Peter was written to a group of churches in in modern-day Turkey in the first century, And these believers lived in an empire, the Roman Empire, that was oppressively persecuting Christians, right? So as believers came to faith in Christ in the first century, they not only faced 
opposition and resistance from family members, uh, but also from the government. And of course, we, we here in America live in a very different context than that, right? Uh, historically, believers in America have been given protection and freedom, and there's been a certain sense of uh, dignity and, and honor and respect that comes with being a, a follower of Christ here in the U.S., uh, but we do live in an increasingly post-Christian context. America is becoming a place where it's no longer as accepted to name the name of Christ, to follow His ways, and uh, oftentimes believers can be viewed as intolerant, as narrow, as backward in their thinking, depending on the context you're in. And so Peter helps us understand how do we, as we as we live in an increasingly hostile culture to our faith, to following Jesus, how do we respond when we're treated in a way that leads to unjust suffering? Now, in this immediate uh, chapter, Peter has talked about uh, three different areas. He really talks about three different areas where believers were facing unjust suffering. So, just before our passage, Peter uh, he talks about how believers are to submit to government authorities, how they're to submit to them even if it's difficult. In our passage, of course, he's talking about servants to masters. And then in, in chapter 3, Peter's going to talk to wives who are living with unbelieving husbands, and so they're facing difficulty in their marriage. And in all of these different situations... Peter is exhorting Christians. He tells them to do two things. He tells them to submit to the authority in this situation and to continue to do good, to live lives that are marked by doing good, by doing what is just, by doing what is right. And Peter says the goal of submission to these authorities is, one, that God would be glorified, and two, that the believers would give a gospel witness to a watching world. And so as we think about this passage in 1 Peter, and we think about the question, how do we endure unjust suffering? I want to answer that by, by giving three points or three uh, responses. So the first one is we need to know our call to suffer. We see this in verses 18 to 21. The second is we need to follow Christ's example. And the third we'll see is to receive. We need to receive the power of the gospel. So first, as we look at this uh, first point, how do we respond to unjust suffering? First, we need to know our call to suffer. In verse 18, Peter tells servants, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters, with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Uh, now again, just a little bit of context here. Peter is talking to uh, servants, or we might even translate that as slaves. Uh, and in the first century in Rome, it was very common for there to be this relationship of master and slave. Uh, prior to the first century, the Romans had captured many people and made them indentured servants. And, uh, but by the time Peter's writing in the first century, most of these people that would be servants had been born into 
this kind of relationship. And about 25% of Rome's population were servants, were slaves. Now, this, this slavery or servanthood, it's, it is different than the kind of slavery that uh, America, you know, experienced and participated in. In that, these slaves were actually hired and they were paid a wage. Uh, many of them could eventually buy their freedom. They could, some of them even worked as doctors or as teachers and musicians to entertain people. Uh, at the same time, it, it wasn't exactly like the kind of employee-employer relationship we see today. Uh, life was very hard for many of them. Many were considered the lowest rank of society. And they didn't have the same kind of economic freedom that their masters did. And sometimes the masters were harsh and mistreated them. So there's no exact equivalent of this kind of relationship, at least in our American context, of the servant and slave. And yet, I think it's right for us uh, to see that we can take what Peter's saying here and apply this not only to our employment relationship with, say, a boss or a coworker, but also to a broader sense of our relationships in society at large. Right? We see this as Peter talks about government, as he talks about marriage, and, and he's getting at this idea of how do we follow Jesus when we face unjust suffering, when we face hostility and difficulty because we are followers of Christ. And notice what Peter says. He tells them to submit to their masters with respect. And he says to do this even if they're unjust. Now, why does Peter say this? As we look down in, in verse 19 and following, we see that it is a gracious thing in God's sight when one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. In other words, we submit to our uh, employer or anyone else that's mistreating us, not because they deserve it, right? Not because they're so worthy of that, but when we do it mindful of God, when we do it in a way that we say, we're doing this before the Lord. I want to honor him in this situation, even though it's very difficult for me. It's a gracious thing. It's a grace-filled thing. It's something that displays that God's grace is at work in our lives. And we have this opportunity to display that to a watching world. Peter makes this uh, caveat, right, in verse 20. He says, it's, it's not a gracious thing if you do wrong and you're beaten for it. So, so if, you're, if you're suffering because you do something wrong, this isn't bringing glory to God. Right, so if you steal from your workplace and you get caught and you get fired and you say, oh, I'm, I'm suffering unjustly uh, for the name of Jesus, Peter's saying, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Right, he's saying that if you're, if you're living in your workplace, let's say you're, you're doing something and your boss asks you to lie about something, to cut corners on something, and you say, because I ultimately live before God, I work for him first and foremost, I'm going to do the right thing. I can't do that. If that results in 
opposition, if that results in you losing your job, this is the kind of thing that is gracious in the sight of God. This brings glory to Him. You know, if, if your spouse leads a, uh, is, is leading you to sin and uh, you're resisting them and maybe it leads to unjust suffering, they mock you in your faith, they, they belittle you in your devotion to Christ, but you continue to do good before the Lord. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God sees that. He is watching you. He's pleased with that and delights in that faithfulness. Now, in verse 21, Peter uses this word. He says, for to this you have been called. And so that's why I say, as we think about how do we endure unjust suffering, we need to know that we are called to this kind of suffering. That as we follow Jesus in the world, as we live lives of holiness that are different and cause us to stand out from those that may result in slander, may result in opposition, uh, we are called to do good and it will result in suffering. It will result in difficulty. Now again, I know that here in our context that may not look like your family betraying you. It may not look like your family uh, rejecting you from their home, which is what we often experience for the women coming to faith or for others. Uh, They're making a commitment that says, will I follow Jesus or will I lose everything in my family? And so oftentimes this kind of commitment is what was happening. But again, we live in a context where we can face mocking and slander and difficulty. And Peter is saying we've been called to this. We've been called to suffer and face this kind of opposition. And we've been called to do it in a way that we glorify God and we do good. But this, this is not a natural thing for us, is it? As we face opposition, as we face mistreatment, Uh, It is not normal for us to respond with blessing those who curse us, with doing good to those who mistreat us, right? The normal response of our sinful heart is to want to get even, is is to want to keep score, right? It's to be filled with anger and bitterness. Uh, It's to feel that we are entitled to something greater, uh, many years ago when, when we lived here in Iowa, I worked as, a, as an electrician for many years, and I can remember uh, one evening, uh, Christmas Eve, in fact, I was, I was working on a job site, and uh, my boss came by and um, you know, told me that I needed to stay there and finish up this project kind of until, until the evening. But I knew that he was going off, and he was going to go do some Christmas shopping and then go on to a party. And for me, that was, that was so difficult. That felt like, you know, I have to stay here and work, and yet my boss is going off to do this thing. Now, some of you know who my boss was at that time, and so that makes the story a little more funny and interesting. But um, I, I remember in that moment just feeling like, you know, this is so unfair. I'm being mistreated. It's such a small little thing, but in my heart, feeling such a uh, tendency toward bitterness, toward anger. 
And I wonder uh, what, if you can relate to this. I wonder if you can think of a time in your workplace, in your family life, in your community when, when you're wronged, when you experience mistreatment and injustice. How do you respond? Uh, do you respond with anger? Do, do you hold on to that in your heart and let bitterness develop? For those of you who aren't uh, in the workplace any longer, who you know, uh, are retired or uh, not actively doing that nine-to-five type of job, you're doing something else, what about when your family misunderstands you and, and doesn't treat you the way you feel you want them to? How do you respond? Uh, do you feel that anger and desire for justice to be served? Peter tells us that in any situation when we are wrong, we have a God-given call to suffer in a way that glorifies God, to continue doing good, to entrust ourselves to God. And we're told not just to to bite our tongue, not just to refrain from doing something, but, but in our hearts to respond the way that Christ would respond. I like how one pastor puts this, speaking about this command. He says, this is not merely a rule to be kept, but a miracle to be experienced. This is a grace to be received. So this is the call. How do we, how do we respond to unjust suffering in any sphere of life? We have to first know that this is what we're called to, to expect this suffering, to not be surprised by it, but to follow Christ And this leads us to our second point, how do we endure unjust suffering? We follow the example of Christ. We see this in verses 21 to 23. Peter says, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now, this this word for example here, it literally has the idea of following a pattern that's been laid out. And so you can think of, of a teacher who, you know, writes the alphabet for someone who's starting to learn to read. You write the A and, and you have the student trace out the A, that pattern. Uh, this is exactly what Peter's saying. He's saying that we are called to copy the character of Christ. That when we face difficulty and suffering, we are called to trace over the lines of his life with our own life and follow. Many of you are are probably familiar with a book uh, written in the late 1800s, a book called um, In His Steps by a man named Charles Sheldon. Uh, if If you're not familiar with that, if you haven't read that, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, a movement in the 1990s that uh, is borrowing from that book, and it's uh, summed up in the the four letters of WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? Um, Sheldon wrote this book, and, and he said, what would it be like if every person, before they ever did anything, asked the question, what would Jesus do in this situation. And that, that idea caught on in the 90s. If you remember, many bracelets and t-shirts and bumper stickers were made as people thought about how do we follow Jesus in the daily life 
uh, you know, as we go about our day. And this is exactly what Peter's saying. Peter is saying that as you face difficulty, as you face opposition or just injustice in relationships where you're mistreated, we are to follow in the pattern of Jesus. We know that Jesus himself lived a life where he suffered because he obeyed the commandments of God. Even when the authorities went against Jesus, Jesus submitted himself to the Father, submitted himself to the authorities, and he went through great difficulty. So what was the example of Christ? What is that example that we're called to follow? Well, Peter tells us here, in these verses. And and Peter really, he has Isaiah chapter 53 in the background of this whole uh, of these verses here. He's he's drawing on that Old Testament passage about the, the coming Messiah. And notice what he says in verse 22. It says that he committed no sin. When we think about the life of the Lord Jesus, we we think about the way he interacted with his family with the religious leaders, uh, those that sought to arrest and kill him. Jesus never once committed a sin. This is remarkable. There's there's no man alive like our Lord who has lived this perfect life, never committed a sin, never spoke one bad word behind someone's back, never had one thought in a moment of frustration of retaliation, of of anger, of unrighteous anger. Peter goes on to say, there was neither deceit found in his mouth. Every, Every word that came out of the mouth of Jesus was pure and perfect. It was without error, without disguise. Uh, You know, he never said one thing in private and another thing in public. His speech was pure. And Peter says, when he was reviled, he did not revile. If we go back, and and I'll read from Isaiah 53, 7, it says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And of course, we remember the life of Jesus as he came to the end and he stood before the chief priests and and they beat him and demanded him to speak and he remained silent. As he went before the soldiers and they plucked out his beard, they put a crown of thorns on his head, they mocked him as the king of the Jews. In all of that, Jesus, not once did he retaliate did he seek to get his own? Instead, Peter tells us that Jesus entrusted himself to God. See, Jesus was faithful to do this good thing that God had called him to do, even though it would be costly. And Jesus endured this suffering because he knew that there was a future glory coming. He knew that as he entrusted himself to the Father, that at his resurrection and his ascension, he would be vindicated and justice would be declared. But he didn't seek it for himself. He entrusted himself to God and continued to obey, to do good. Brothers and sisters, whatever 
difficult situation you might be facing in your life, whatever relationships are causing uh, struggle for you, are tempting you toward bitterness, retaliation, anger, would you remember the example of Jesus this morning? God sees your situation. You can entrust yourself to him. You can continue to do good knowing that one day all will be declared, uh, will be laid bare, and you will be vindicated, that you don't have to seek after your own justice. In this life, Jesus calls us to die to ourselves daily, to take up our cross, to follow him. We bear a cross in this life, and in the future, we get to wear the crown of glory. So we can humble ourselves like Jesus, we can submit to God and continue to do good. How do we endure unjust suffering? We follow the example of Christ. Now, you, you may have just heard the description of Jesus' life, and you know, you, you know how he lived a life of perfect uh, perfection without sin. And you might think, really? Really, God? Is that really what I'm called to do? H- how can I do that? How, how can I live in a way that I never have that kind of bitterness or anger or desire for retaliation in my heart? How is this possible? And that's, that's a good question to ask. Right? Because we all know our own hearts. We all know that our hearts are prone to defend ourselves, right? to seek out our own name and our own justice. We're prone to slander, to gossip, to backbiting, to keeping a record of wrongs. How can we follow the example of Christ? And, and this is right. If, if we only have Jesus as an example. If this is the only command we have to live a perfect life like Jesus, we are doomed. We are without hope because none of us is righteous. None of us can live this kind of life. Uh, Charles Sheldon, he, he wrote that book and wanted to promote believers following Jesus, but one of the weaknesses of that book was that he only viewed Jesus as a moral example. And that was, he reduced Christianity down to live a good life of morality and embraced a social gospel. But he failed to see what Peter points out here, that Jesus is not only our example, but he is our Savior. And he is first and foremost our Redeemer who rescues us from ourselves so that we might live this kind of life by his power, by his grace. The only way we can follow Christ's example and endure unjust suffering is if we receive the power of the gospel. And that's the final thing I want us to look at in verses 24 and 25. Peter goes on to tell us that Jesus isn't just this example, but he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You see, the the unjust suffering that Jesus faced on the cross was not just at the hands of Pilate. 
It was not just from the soldiers hanging him up on the cross. What ultimately brought Jesus to the cross was my sin and was your sin. Every desire in our heart for anger, for bitterness, for retaliation that we've ever had or ever would have, these are the things that Jesus went to the cross to bear on our behalf. Christ went to the cross and took our sins upon himself. He paid the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion against God. He bore the cross or the the curse that we deserve so that we could experience the blessing and favor of God. This is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He is first and foremost our Savior. Before we can ever follow him as our shepherd and live in his example, we need to be healed and redeemed. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've been thinking in your life, maybe you've just been visiting church or you're coming with a family or a member or friend, and and your idea is, I just need to come to church so I can learn how to be a good example. I can just clean my life up a little bit. I can follow Jesus and his good moral example. Would you hear this morning that Peter tells you that you don't just come to Jesus to follow him? Well, what you need first and foremost is to experience his salvation, is to hear this good news that Christ bore your sin in his body on the tree. He paid the penalty for your sin. He died to remove the judgment that stood over you. And if you will turn to him and put your trust in him, he will heal you and make you a new person. He'll give you a new identity. He'll give you a new heart, a new power, a new life so that you can live this kind of transformed, radical, gospel, grace-soaked life. But if you're here and just thinking, I'm, I'm going to be a good person and follow in Jesus, and follow his example, uh, just hear what Peter says. The first thing we need is to be brought back to this shepherd and overseer of our souls. In Isaiah 53, 5, we're told that he, that is Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. If this doesn't describe your experience of the Christian life, would you hear this good news and come to Jesus this morning? Put your trust in him. For those of us who are Christians, who have responded to this, who have experienced this rescue, this healing, this freedom that comes through Christ's death for us on the cross, be reminded that this is our motivation and power for living in Christ's steps, for following his example, especially when we face unjust suffering. On our own In our own ability, there is no way we will respond the way that God is calling us to in this passage. But through Christ's death, his resurrection, his power at work in our lives, we can live these kind of transformed lives. Look what Peter says. It says that Jesus died for us. He bore our sins so that we 
could die to sin and live to righteousness. That means that when we come to faith in Christ, we're not just saved so that one day we can go to heaven and experience glory with God. That is true. Praise God. That is a great hope we have. But Jesus died so that we could live transformed lives today, so that we could live lives that follow in his steps, that we could live lives that are dead to sin and alive to righteousness. And as we do that, as we endure unjust suffering or any kind of difficulty, and we do it the way that Peter describes, we are displaying the glory of the gospel to a watching world. And, and as the scriptures say elsewhere, we become like bright stars which shine in a dark world. Uh, many, many years ago, again, when we were living here in Iowa, uh, my wife, when we were first married, she worked as a teller at, at a bank, and she had an experience where a, a woman came in, was, was very uh, rude, was very unkind to her as she was, you know, uh, helping her out with her situation. Uh, this woman was just very nasty, and, and by God's grace, uh, in that moment, my wife was able to respond with kindness, with patience, uh, with doing good, as Peter says here. And um, the next day, uh, my wife saw this woman come back into the bank, and, uh, and she had two other, uh, others with her. She came to realize these were her sons who had come in. Her grown adult sons came in with her, and they came over to the counter to talk to my wife. She, she didn't know what to expect at all. You know, is she bringing reinforcements to come make this more difficult? Um, but as they came over, the, the woman uh, could barely speak. You know, she had very, a very hard time engaging my wife. Uh, and, and the two sons just relayed that my mother came in yesterday and uh, was, was very unkind to you. She shared that with us, and she shared with us how you responded to her. And she just wanted to come in and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way I mistreated you, for the way I acted and thank you for showing me such kindness. This is the kind of moment that we, we get to have on almost a daily basis in our workplace, in our families, where we get to obey this passage to follow Christ's example by the power of the gospel so that we can display the glory of God, the grace of God at work in our lives. Uh, you and I will never experience the slave-master relationship in the first century. Uh, you and I will never be migrant workers where your life is uh, unimaginably difficult. But all of us will face unjust suffering. All of us will be mistreated. All of us will face increasing hostility and difficulty if we live holy lives as exiles and strangers in a dark world. And as we do that, we have this great privilege to obey Christ and to display the gospel. And so as you face this, brothers and sisters, as you face these difficulties, as you're facing them now in various relationships, what will you display by your response? Will you show that you care more about your reputation, that you want retaliation, 
that you want your uh, justice and, and your name to be honored? Or will you show that you are a follower of Jesus and as you follow him and endure unjust suffering and continue to do good, you will show others around you the beauty of the gospel, of what our Savior has done for us. Every unbeliever, every person that mistreats us, this is an opportunity for the miracle of the gospel to be manifested in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you revealed to us how we can live in this world. God, we confess that this is so difficult for us. We know our own weaknesses, our sinfulness. God, we stumble in many ways and we struggle with this. And yet we ask that as we are reminded this morning of our call to live righteous lives in a, in a dark world, to face and endure unjust suffering, God, would you help us by your spirit? Would you strengthen us and remind us of the, the work that Christ has done so that we can follow in his steps. We pray all of this would glorify your great name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A judge and our defender Suffered and crucified Forgiveness is in you Descended into darkness You rose in glorious light Forever seated high. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe.